This is Sam Horn. I am author of Someday is Not a Day in the Week, and you are listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. I have the great honor of welcoming Sam Horn. Sam is the founder CEO of the Intrigue Agency and of the Tung Fu Training Institute. Her nine books have been featured in the New York Times, Fast Company, endorsed by Seth Godin, Tony Robbins, and Dan Pink, and presented to hundreds of organizations worldwide, including Intel, Cisco, Nationwide, and Boeing. In addition to being executive director of the world-renowned Maui Writers Conference for 17 years, she was the pitch coach for Springboard Enterprises, which has helped women entrepreneurs generate more than $10 billion in funding. Sam's three TED Talks have been viewed more than half a million times, and her LinkedIn communication series is used by organizations like Walmart and Wells Fargo to train their employees how to communicate more clearly and confidently. Sam lives in Austin, Texas, and is here to talk about her book, Someday is Not a Day in the Week. Welcome, Sam. Thank you, Bill. I've been looking forward to sharing some stories and some insights with your listeners. Fantastic. Say, let's start with a story about somebody who influenced or inspired you growing up. I will always be grateful to Mr. Bowers, our school librarian. I grew up in a small town, more horses than people, and our high school had uh, 114 people in it. And so when I was asked to be valedictorian, that was a big deal. And I will always remember walking to the auditorium and our librarian, Mr. Bowers, gave me a manila envelope and he asked me to open it up later. And when I did and I looked inside, there was a pen and ink drawing of a Mustang standing on a bluff overlooking a herd of horses below. And he talked about me being a Mustang and he said that Mustangs join the herd at will and leave it when it will take them where they do not want to go. And I felt seen, Bill, at that young, impressionable age for him to understand that uh, sometimes I felt like I didn't fit in and that I had lots of ideas that I wanted to carry. And that adventurous spirit of being a Mustang was going to define me for the rest of my life. I'll always be grateful to Mr. Bowers for seeing that and for recognizing that and giving me an identity. I love that story because it it shows that he really did see that aspect of your personality, which maybe you hadn't even acknowledged to yourself at that point. See, I think that's the role. I know you have many small business owners, entrepreneurs, team leaders, executives listening. And Henry Fosdick Emerson said that teachers affect eternity. Who knows where their influence will end? And I think that's one of our jobs is to see each of our employees and to figure out Who are they? What are they? Are they a Mustang? Are they a creative? Are they an iconoclast? Are they a problem solver? Figure out what it is they're good at that's unique to them and compliment them on it so they feel seen and so they imprint that identity and run with it. Tim, do you remember at any point early in your career when that 
recognition played a part in a decision that you made or an action that you took? I I love your questions, Bill. You bet. I was getting ready to go to college and everyone was telling me I should be a doctor or a lawyer to use my mind. I didn't want to be a doctor or lawyer. I wanted to study recreation administration. I'd grown up playing sports and I was uh, running a recreation department and was going to use that income to help pay my way through college. And I was being told that was a slacker career. And I will always be glad my dad gave me that quote from Goethe that talks about boldness has genius in it and that providence cannot move until we make a decision. And dad said, Sam, whenever you're at a crossroads, you need to make a decision and you can't make up your mind pick the bolder of the options. So I studied recreation administration. I was a Mustang instead of following the suggested path. And it set up this path where I've been doing work that I love ever since. Truly part Mustang and part Maverick. (laughs) Ah, There you Hey, both horse words. Good for you, Bill. (laughs) You have had a career that really spans an uncharted territory. Writing is such an important aspect of leaving something behind. And I'm sure that many business leaders are thinking about how does this make sense and how can I leave my legacy? Many have struggled and many have soared through this experience. And there are lessons to be learned from whatever experience that one has. What was your take on the Writers' Conference and what did you learn about the importance of using a book as a way to leave a legacy? I used to put on these events at the Maui Writers' Conference and I would ask people for their quotes. And there was Eleanor Clift. She said, my favorite quote is, we're all in a race to be relevant. I said, that's a fantastic quote. Who said that? She said, I said that. (laughs) I I was doing a how to pop masterclass earlier this year. And in March of this year, I changed our curriculum. These were a lot of wellness experts, immunologists, physicians, pediatricians, etc. And I said, I've been on your websites. I've been on your LinkedIn profiles. None of you even mentioned COVID and you're in the medical well-being health community. I said, right now, drop what you're doing because you your brick and mortar business is not relevant in today's times and start thinking of yourself as a virtual thought leader. Change up your LinkedIn profile and put on that you are available to speak on these topics that are relevant to your expertise as podcast or as virtual presentations or for company presentations. Put COVID on your nav bar on your website and offer like a 10 do's and don'ts about COVID once again within your specialty. Do you know, Bill, because those business owners made themselves relevant to the circumstances and asked themselves what their clients and patients and customers needed then, all of them have successfully pivoted because they made themselves relevant in these unprecedented times. Do you recall an example of a particular business owner or entrepreneur who was able to do this and connected with his or her audience in a way that they never expected? Absolutely. His name is Tom Moorcroft. And Tom deals with diseases, whether it's Crohn's disease or whether it is ADHD or whether it is Lyme disease, etc. So these are chronic health problems that often go undiagnosed for years and really cause disastrous health consequences. So Tom Moorcroft was very nimble. And when I recommended this, he started doing little one, two minute Facebook lives. And we talked about how to pop it and how to make it intriguing and insightful and actionable. So for example, instead of just saying, don't touch your face, which people have heard a hundred times, it's a plaque 
attitude or cliche, he actually got a dog cone. Do you have a dog, Bill? And you ever taken your dog to the vet? And when they've had their shot, they have the dog cone. You know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> He did a Facebook Live with a dog cone. He said, instead of thinking of don't touch your face, don't touch your face, which is like telling kids, don't run around the pool, don't run around the pool. He said, just imagine you have a dog cone around your face. And that went viral because it was so creative and clever and it transcended the normal infobesity. And another thing he did, we talked about social distancing six feet apart. If we can't see it, we don't get it. So I told him to use a hula hoop of space, put your hands in front of you, put your hands aside of you, put them behind you. Now, this is your hula hoop of space. No one comes in your hula hoop of space. You don't go in other people's hula hoop of space. And now I helped him rebrand himself as the founder, CEO of the Real Heal Institute. And in a few months, he has taken his work global because once again, he made himself relevant and he thought, what do customers need? What haven't they heard before? So it's intriguing. Boom. Let me underscore for people listening that pop is not only something that is automatopoeia, it means how it sounds, but it's also an important acronym that's part of your brand, Sam. It stands for being purposeful, original, and being able to be promoted. Do I have that accurately? That's correct. And I I know your audience loves examples. So shall I give a quick example of that? Please. Let's talk about both personal and promote and pithy and original all in one example. Did you see the movie Pretty Woman by any chance? Love the movie. Great. Gary Marshall was the director producer. He was one of our favorite keynoters at Maui Writers Conference. He said something so profound. I remember it as if he said it this morning. He said, Hollywood directors can predict when their movies make money based on one thing. And you know what it is? What's that? Do people walk out of the theater repeating something they heard word for word? See, people are saying, seen any good movies recently? And you say, make my day, I'll be back, show me the money. You have become a brand ambassador for that movie and you're taking it viral. So I'm reaching out to all of your entrepreneurs and small business owners. When you speak on your website, on your blog, on LinkedIn, in your TEDx talk, Can people repeat anything they heard word for word? Because if not, we're out of sight, out of mind. We don't want to be out of sight, out of mind. We want to be top of mind. So here's an example. I teach how to come up with airtight sound bites. Because if I say this, what happens in blank stays in blank. What do you say, Bill? Everyone thinks of Vegas. Of course. Do you know why? Because that is repeatable and retweetable. However, this isn't just word play, this is word profits. Do you know that Advertising Age says that slogan has generated more than $1 billion in revenue for Las Vegas? So see, I'm once again, I'm reaching out to everyone listening. Do you have this repeatable, retweetable phrase when you speak or in your marketing material? If so, good for you. If not, back to the drawing board. Sam, have you ever encountered someone who had some really good original promotable content yet held back on it because they were operating under a belief that if they put it out there, people will appropriate it and they won't get credit or they won't get booked because of it? Oh, I just love that question, Bill. All the time in all the years of Maui Writers Conference and now is that people are concerned that someone will steal my stuff. Here's my belief. Ideas in our head help no one. Books in our head, businesses in our head help no one. 
We are here to create, not to compete or to compare. And if you would like an example of someone who took that to heart, I'd love to share it with you. Yes, please. Did you see Phantom of the Opera on Broadway by any chance? Not on Broadway, but in different movie versions. Okay. Sandra Joseph is actually Broadway's longest leading lady. She played Christine in Phantom of the Opera for 10 years. Now, she had a wonderful run, and then it was time to do something else. However, she didn't know what she was going to do next. She knew what she wanted to do. However, she had fears. As you said, Bill, she was thinking, I want to write a book, but who am I to write a book? I'd love to do a TEDx talk. How do I get a TEDx talk? It's And it seems arrogant to write and speak. It's saying, I'm perfect, and I know, and you don't. And that's arrogant, and I'm not arrogant. So we dealt with some of those fears is that number one, I believe that writing or speaking or getting our business started or our idea out in the world does not come from arrogance. It comes from service. And so we came up with an ikigai goal for Sandra. And do you know what that is, Bill? It's a Japanese phrase, isn't it? Boom, you've got it. Ikigai means a reason to wake up in the morning. It is a Japanese phrase about what is your purpose? What gives meaning and momentum to your days? So I'm asking everyone right now, what is something you have on your calendar? It cannot be vague. It has to be precise, concise, and on your calendar. Do you want to launch something by a certain date? Are you going to have open a new location on a certain date? Are you going to have your book out by a certain date? Are you going to be officer of your local chamber of commerce by a certain date? So we put a date on the calendar because now we can reverse engineer it. Her legacy message, because I believe as business people, we all have lessons learned and legacy is not something we leave at the end of our life. It's something we lead every day of our life. So what is a lesson learned that you would like to roll out through presentations or books or through an e-course or through speaking for your association conference. Hers was a real surprise. You ready to find out what it was? Waiting in anticipation. Even though she'd been on Broadway eight times a week for 10 years, Sandra still suffered from stage fright. In fact, there was an exit on the way to the stage And Sandra confessed that every night she was tempted to run out that door because the pressure of performance of all these people who paid very good money, who'd been looking forward to this for years of of performing every time kept her in that state of fear. So she wanted to write about fear is not something that we retreat from. It is something we reach out to. It is not something that causes us to withdraw. It is something that causes us to step up. So she had check out Sandra Joseph's, her TEDx talk, check out Sandra Joseph and her book. And she is now sharing her message, her lessons learned with people around the world because she overcame her fears. She overcame her doubts. And she realized that talking about what we've learned once again 
does not come from arrogance. It comes from service. I bet there are people listening and thinking to themselves, that's fine for someone who's been on Broadway, for people have been in Hollywood, but they just run a very successful business. And those lessons often go unappreciated, unheralded, and unshared as a result. How do you help someone recognize that they have value to share, even if they've never thought of putting it into book form, but might want to start to see where it leads? I love that question. And we haven't said these words yet. We're really talking about imposter syndrome, aren't we, Bill? It's, it's yes. And imposter syndrome, what I've come to understand is that perfectionism is just a fancy name for procrastination. And one of my favorite stories about someone who overcame imposter syndrome, this, well, I'm not famous, I don't have a degree, I don't run a multi-million dollar business, etc. The very first year of the Maui Writers Conference, I emceed it in addition to being the executive director. So I'm walking the beach in the morning to get my introduction straight in my mind there is a woman crying on the beach. And I went over, I said, are you okay? And she said, I'm not okay. I don't belong here. I said, you don't belong here? She said, who am I to write a book? She said, it's like putting yourself up on a pedestal. She said, I'm not perfect. Who am I? And I said, Jenna, what do you want to write about? She and her husband had adopted a child and he was really challenging. And she said, I went to the bookstore. I went to the library to try and find a book to help. She said, there were all these Pollyanna books about what a blessing it was to be an adoptive parent. They just made me feel worse. She said, but I don't have a degree. It's I don't, I'm not a psychologist. I don't have any right to write this book about parenting. And I said, what's an example of what you want to write about? And she thought about it and she said, I want to write about the time that Ari was three years old and I fixed spaghetti for dinner. And he reaches across the table and he grabs a handful of spaghetti and he throws it in my face. And my first thought was my child would never have done that. And the shame that I felt that thought had even occurred to me. And I said, what else? She said, I want to talk about when it's time to send pictures of Ari to his birth mother. I edit out the cute ones because even though he's challenging, I live in daily fear that his mother is going to change her mind and want him back. Wow. This story just keeps getting better and better, Bill, because I said, Jenna, the question to ask is not, do I have a PhD? It's not, am I perfect? The question to ask is, would someone reading my book benefit? Because see, if someone reading your book will benefit, not only do you have the right to write, you have a responsibility to write. Have you ever thought of about it that way? As business owners, as entrepreneurs, you've all had adversity, hard times, tough decisions. You've had to fire people or you've had to bootstrap your business or you've had to deal with competition. All those lessons learned in your head. They don't do anyone any good sitting up there in your head. I believe that we have a responsibility to share our lessons learned, even if it's a blog on Medium or LinkedIn, even if it is an annual talk to our employees so that other people benefit from our lessons learned, not just us. And by the way, if you go on Amazon and if you put in Jana Wolf and Secret Thoughts of an Adoptive Mother, up will come her book and Jana tells me 20 years after that book has been out in the world, she still gets emails every single day saying, I thought I was the only one. Thank you for that book. 
and for the encouragement to draw it out of her to encourage and create the conditions where she could choose to go forward and share the experience and expertise that she earned through her life experience. I I think of another example of situations where entrepreneurs and business leaders are abandoning their loves during this pandemic. And I don't mean people, but I mean their passions, their hobbies, their outlets for relaxation, for rejuvenation, for getting in shape, because conditions have necessitated that we stay apart physically. I I really dislike the term social distancing. What we really need is physical distancing. And when you say social distancing, it, it tells people to stay apart, which is something that's contrary to our nature. So it just seems to add that extra layer of burden to something that we need to do. Do you remember an example of someone who was saying that they needed to not participate in your book, Someday is is not a day in the week. You talk about a friend of yours, Kathy Worley, who was saying that she was not going to be able to play tennis anymore simply because she needed to focus more on her business. Can you share with me the conversation that you had with her that helped see it from a different perspective? I would love to. And let's set this up, Bill, because in all my travels on my year by the water and my interviews for the Someday is Not a Day in the Week book, most people told me that they had some kind of dream, that their dream was going to visit the national parks. Their dream was to play more golf. Their dream was to pick up the guitar again. The dream was to get back into a sport. And when I asked why they weren't doing it, they would tell me about their responsibilities. And they would say, you don't understand. I run my own business. I have a lot of people counting on me. You don't understand. I'm married with three kids and I just don't have time for that. And at the end of our session today, Bill, I really hope we reframe that, that fun is not frivolous. It is not something we do when our work is done. Do we feel that fun is something we do when our work is done? Because our work is never done, which means we never have fun, which means that stress takes its toll, our health suffers, and we look back at our life with regrets. I really believe we can integrate our work and recreation. We can blend our passion and profession. They are not siloed or separate. They are the same. And now let's tell you the Kathy Worley example. When I lived in Maui, I played a lot of tennis. I had the privilege of working with Rod Laver in the tennis industry. And so I continued playing tennis and Kathy Worley, who was a four or five player and a real estate broker on the island was my go-to buddy. Then the economy tanked and she said, Sam, I can't afford to play tennis anymore. I've got to do biz dev. I said, Kathy, we're playing at the Wailea Tennis Club and right down the hill are the five diamond four seasons and the five diamond grand Wailea. Why not just go down to the concierge, let them know you're a four or five player, and you'd be glad to play with their guest. Within two weeks, she was back to playing three or four times a week, however, with potential clients. Now, she didn't pitch them. She didn't sell them or crowd them or she wasn't pushy about it. It was just natural that after a game of good tennis and an iced tea, oh, what do you do? I'm a realtor on island. Oh, what's going on with property these days? I have some properties here. And do you know, often we see our hobby as something that is separate from our work. I actually think it can be biz dev. I think it 
it can be the best of both worlds. Think about it. Kathy is outside, being active, staying healthy, doing something she loves it, she's good at, and she's meeting new clients. See, they're not separate. They're the same. And I have lots of examples where if we get creative, whatever it is that we abandon because we felt we just don't have time for it anymore, we've got too many responsibilities, we can bring it into our life and it's a win for all involved. Sam, I love that example because it also illustrates how when we're doing something we love, we really are a best version of ourselves. And under what circumstance would be better to make initial contact with those that we could serve in our business? See, some people may be thinking, come on, Sam, she was an entrepreneur. She runs her own schedule. I'm in a corporation. I can't do that. I don't have that autonomy or that freedom. Wait a minute, because I had an opportunity to do a someday is not a day in the week program for Nationwide. And this was in their career development section. And after we talked about this very thing, a gentleman came up to me and he said, you were talking about me. And his name was Bill as well. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I was the shy guy in IT. He said, I've worked for Nationwide for more than 20 years. I take the bus to work. I put in my eight hours. I turn around and I go home. Last year, though, someone on my team found out that I love photography and asked if I would shoot the fashion show that the women's professional development was putting on. I brought my camera to work, took pictures, shared them, and they turned out pretty well. So then someone asked if I would take pictures of the retirement party and then take pictures of this. Now, here I am, the official photographer for their leadership series, for their career series. He said, this place has turned into my own private cheers. It's Bill. Everyone knows my name. He says, I look forward going into work. I'm still in IT, but I am no longer the shy guy who takes the bus to work, puts in his eight hours and turns around and goes home. So I'm a walking, talking example that we can bring what we love into our work and it often serves all involved. Here's an example of him not necessarily branching out and doing different work. He kept his title, but he transformed his relationships with his peers and probably built new ones as a result of bringing this passion of his hobby for photography into to work and sharing it with people and benefiting from all of the doors that opened. This is the essence of this book, Bill, is that Paulo Coelho said, one day you're going to wake up and there won't be any time left to do the things you've always want to do. Socrates said, an unexamined life is not worth living. And I really hope that every single person listening to this examines their life and ask themselves, am I putting off the things that call me, that light me up, that I'm good at, that I love, that bring me joy because of my quote unquote responsibilities? Could I combine them and have the best of all worlds right now instead of someday? Sam, I'm going to ask if we could talk about the time when you were having a breakfast conversation with Ethan Misner, who's the founder of BNI Networks. He asked you, what do you do for fun, Sam? And you gave him a Stephen King quote, who said, I have the world's best job. I get to hang out in my imagination all day. And you said, that's what I get to do. That's fun for me. What I love about this example is because it doesn't go the direction that people think because he really wanted to know what you did for fun. Also, you have to understand the importance of what he was asking. He essentially was calling BS on your reply. (laughs) Because he wanted 
to know what you did for fun. Talk about that conversation and also what it was like for you for someone to ask that penetrating question. I'll always be glad to Ivan. Uh, we're both part of something called Transformational Leadership Council, which is Jack Canfield and John Gray and Dave Asprey of Bulletproof Coffee and Dr. Ivan Meisner, who founded BNI, Business Networking International, which is one of the largest small business networking organizations globally. I think they have a quarter of a million members. So I remember sitting at breakfast with Ivan and his wife, Elizabeth. And when he said, what do you do for fun, Bill, I thought about it. And I finally said, I walk my dog around the lake. (laughs) And he looked at me and I knew that was a pretty, hey, I love my dog and I love walking and I love water. It's just that did it fun. Come on. Fun is not frivolous. I just love this quote. Uh, Richard Branson said, I've never seen a separation between work and play. It's all living. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful, though? (laughs) Yeah, that's great. And so he really gave me a kick in the okoloi, okole, as they say in Hawaii, is that to bring fun back into my life, something that is joyful, something that, that lights us up, that energizes us, and to really look at this Puritan work ethic. I remember I was speaking for the Association of General Contractors, and we were talking about this very thing, and a woman put her hand up, and she said, Sam, if it weren't for this association, my husband and I would never take time off. It was like they took one week a year off to go to their annual convention and the pressure of having clients and employees. And that is a path to regrets. And I'm a woman on a mission for every single one of us to understand that what are we modeling for our kids? What are we modeling for our employees? This is not sustainable, is that all of the studies and science and research show that when we integrate into our life what makes us happy and healthy, we are a better leader, we are a better boss, we are a better parent, and we are a better person. Sam, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Oh boy, let's go. All right. Earlier, I asked you about a person who influenced you growing up, and you mentioned Mr. Bowers. When you were a teenager, what's a song you loved? Chicago, does anybody really know what time it is? Oh, I'm sorry, Chicago. I really did that out of tune, but... Love it. What is the most effective way? You just spoke about your mission a moment ago about getting the word out and having challenging us to think about what example we're leaving for our employees and our children, our families and friends. The answer to the first part is in 17 years of Maui Writers Conference, the only thing all of our authors agreed on was ink it when you think it. And I believe that if we carry a notebook with us everywhere or otter or whatever, that when an idea occurs to us, we make our living from our mind. And if we don't write it down, the muse gets ticked and goes away, thinks I'm giving you gold here. You don't care enough to write it down, color me gone. I also love how you've integrated into meetings that already occur and just adding a little bit that enhances it with those questions, quotes, or stories. Sam, really, how do you keep track of all the information and quotes that you use and that you have at your fingertips to be able to insert conversationally at just the right moment with powerful, provocative, 
and such pleasing quotes. You're making my day, Bill. So thank you for that compliment. And I really credit my dad. When I gave that valedictorian speech, I ran it by my dad, who is in charge of Future Farmers of America, who are very big into public speaking. When I finished, he gave me this look and I could tell that it was not great. I said, so dad, what do you think? He said, Sam, it was an okay talk. It was like the bird leaving the nest, etc." He said, I just didn't hear anything I hadn't heard before. If we are going to ask people for their valuable time and mind, it is our responsibility to be original. And I said, Dad, there's nothing new under the sun. He said, sure there is. Do you know what the definition of original is? If we haven't heard it before, it's original. So, Bill, I keep my eyes open for what gets my eyebrows up. And if I hear a great quote, if it's a Joyce Meyer, life may give you a cactus, you don't have to sit on it. You know, <laughs> I write it down. If it's Elvis Presley, when things go wrong, don't go with them. <laughs> because I know if it got my eyebrows up, it'll probably get other people's eyebrows up. And now we're being intriguing instead of just adding to the info. Do you keep them on index cards, Evernote, a Google Doc? What is your tactical method for keeping track of them so that you can retrieve them? Great question, Bill, is that you may know I wrote a book called Concentrate. Got a cover endorsement from Stephen Covey, who said it was the best book he ever saw in focus. Highly motivating, fascinating. Billy Jean King recommended it, etc. And in that book, we talk about how to imprint things so that we can remember them. One is intent. When I see something, hear something that's interesting, yes, I imprint it with the intention to remember it. And then repeat it in rhythm because when you put things in a beat, you make them easy to repeat. When you put things in a beat, you make them easy to repeat. So take that sentence and play with it until it falls into this rhythm, this cadence, because it's going to increase the likelihood that you can recall it. Think about it. It's, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. Takes a licking and keeps on. Ticking. Now, see, Bill, do you know those slogans are both 50 years old? And yet, when something is in a cadence, we are more likely to remember it, which is why when I work with clients, we come up with taglines that are in a cadence. And then the third thing is to think about where you're going to use it. Oh, this would be great in this chapter of the book. Oh, I'm going to speak next week, and that's going to be in my intro. So if you have the intention and you imprint it, if you put it in a beat so it's easy to repeat, and then if you think about where you're going to use use it, you can dramatically increase the likelihood that you're leveraging what's getting your eyebrows up and remembering it so you can share it with other people and get their eyebrows up too. What's your definition of personal success? Not what ours could be, but just what do you think about that gives you a sense of inner satisfaction and feeling pleased that you're making the difference you want in the world? I am so glad you asked that, Bill. I will always be grateful to Dr. Rollins, who was my philosophy professor in college. The very first class, he said, we are going to study Plato and Socrates and Aristotle. However, first, we're going to come up with our own philosophy. Our assignment and bring it back, come up with an under 100 word philosophy mission statement that will serve as your North Star for your life. I really worked on that, Bill. And uh, do you know, I have not changed it in all the decades since. And it is that my mission is to make a positive difference for as many people as possible while maintaining a happy, healthy, 
grateful lifestyle with friends and family. Fabulous. Sam, last question in the lightning round. What's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? Boy, I love your questions, Bill. You know what I've stopped doing? And this was actually, uh, it's in the Someday book about stop driving into hurricanes and stop watering dead plants, is that I got rid of like 95% of what I owned. All of the science and studies talk about how clutter weighs us down, how it essentially crowds out our clarity, and that how freeing it is to look at every single item in your home. Is it meaningful? Is it beautiful? And is it functional? And it doesn't matter how much you paid for it if you're not using it. It's not, it doesn't matter if you're going to wear it someday or if you just need to fix this. I had a very expensive blender that broke the first time I used it and it was sitting in a kitchen cupboard and I was going to get it repaired someday. Right, Bill? What makes us think? that material things don't matter. And if in our drawers and in our closets and every time we look around our home, we see chaos and clutter and we see unused, broken, dysfunctional things, it is keeping us from having the clarity and the energy to really focus on what matters in our life. So that habit of collecting things or not releasing them is something I let go of this year. And I am oh so grateful. Ever since your first book came out, Tung Fu, which was published published in 1995, I think. I've really enjoyed your wordcraft. And one of the expressions you use in the book, Someday, that really stood out for me is the rubber band of routine. Can you describe what that means to you as a business owner? Oh, I'm so glad you asked this, Bill, because when I set out on my year by the water, my sister runs my business, has for 20 years, and we had a weekly check-in call. So she calls one time and we had three speaking opportunities and I said yes to all of them. And she said, Sam, are you sure you want to do that? And I said, yeah, why? She said, Sam, you've been on your year by the water now for three months. And I looked at your calendar and of the 90 days you have been by the water for less than 20 of them. And guess what, Bill? The the rubber band of routine had snapped back and I was filling my calendar because for so many of us, a full calendar connotes success. It means that our clients want us. It means that we're busy. It means that we are productive. And I want us to really reframe that because once again, I'm so grateful to Sherry because she reminded me that I had reframed this once before. When both my sons went off to Virginia Tech. I ran into a friend walking around the lake and she said, oh, both your sons are gone. You must be rattling in that big house all by yourself. You must have empty nest syndrome. And guess what I said, Bill? I don't have emptiness. I have open nest. (laughs) So see, I am going to challenge all of our listeners is that do you panic if you have a quote unquote empty day on your calendar? Do you quickly fill it with appointments and projects? Because somewhere along the line, we got this default automatic assumption that an empty calendar is cause for panic. It means we're not making any money that day. We're not being productive that day. I would actually suggest, and this, by the way, was in TED.com, that we schedule an open day with our family. We deliberately do not put anything on the calendar that day. We wake up and let the day 
take us where it may, that we follow the nudges, that we listen to the roomy voice that has no words, and we will find that it is not empty. It is open to partnering with life and what happens to be calling us, and it will end up better than we could have imagined and better than we could have planned. Sam, I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Your generosity, knowledge, and intrigue have come through in such flying colors. It's really lifted my day. I want to thank you for sharing your experiences, starting with Mr. Bowers and helping us understand the importance of seeing other people, their true nature. So whether it's employees or children, to be able to see and acknowledge those parts. When you shared with us about the Maui Writers Conference and listening to how people who were afraid to share at those conferences ended up being able to find ways to really share their messages in such strong ways, perhaps with Tom Moorcraft's example, where he really found ways to illustrate and amplify in novel ways so that his content went viral and helped more people. We talked about Pretty Woman and the director, Gary Marshall, who shared about how you can predict whether a movie will be successful by whether people are repeating quotes from that movie as they exit. And you talked about Ikigai, where you wake up in the morning looking for that which will give you meaning and momentum to your days so that you have it down not only in written form, but it's precise, concise, and on your calendar. We discussed imposter syndrome, thinking that you don't have value to share and how that really is not true for anyone who lives a life that is focused on service and learning and reflecting on the value that you give. So for these and so many more reasons, that would probably take me another 20 minutes to summarize, Sam. I want to thank you so much for being on My Quest for the Best. Thank you, Bill. I often start my programs with a quote from Arthur Rubenstein, who said, I have found if you love life, Life, life will love you back. Where can we find out more about you and your work online? My website is intrigueagency.com. Sam, we're going to link to intrigueagency.com, all of your books, your TED Talks, and social media to make it super easy for people to go to the show notes for this episode, which is episode 300, and find out more about you and follow you so they continue to learn from you. So Sam Horn, author of many books, including Someday is Not a Day in the Week. I want to thank you once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app, so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.